James. Uh, good. How are you, dude? Oh, well, thanks, mate. How are you going? Good. Today, we're going to talk about Lawrence Kohlberg's stages of moral development. Uh, so he is a Harvard uh, educational professor, in my understanding. Um, and you might have heard us talk about Keegan's developmental framework. So Kohlberg is older um, than Keegan. Keegan came sort of after. But these things are like extraordinarily interesting. Um, and I think James found this one and forwarded on. And I remember it was like a Friday, like 7 p.m. And I get this text message from James with an image of this like six stages of moral development. And it's kind of like Christmas. You know, I, used to get ex- I used to get excited, like what's in the box? And I'd pick it up and I'd sort of go around. And then there's this and I'm like, oh God, holy shit. This is a-. I'm like, oh, oh. I'm like almost like having this like hyperventilating happy you know, hormones going off in my head. I'm like, okay, we can talk about this. We can talk about this. This is the best. This is the best. Um, so to me, maybe this is sort of similar to the stages here in some respects. You know, we'll talk about the six stages, but it used to be that things that got me happy were like chocolate or a new Nintendo game, you know, or something like that, right? It was really sort of like, I don't know, push your biology buttons or get to play with this new thing. And sometimes it was like a status thing. I get a new fancy bike and it's fancier than my friend's bike or something. Whereas now this thing... Is a concept that's free. Anyone can get it on the internet. And how valuable and how fun it is, we have to figure it out. So to me, it's like the most interesting things that I find, or I think that James finds, were like a podcast topic. Because that's, that's the way to make it really valuable for us. Yeah. And so this is like giving toys to ourselves, to our 36-year-old selves. Well, yeah, there's always got to have something fun to play with. It's just different for different ages. But I think um, it, exactly to that point, this was something that when I came across, I just thought this is a completely different way of thinking about things. Uh, so just to, to clarify, so this is, um, you know, when we talk about moral development, so what um, Kohlberg has put together here are six different stages or how people can reason, um, you know, ethical behavior. Uh, and so, like, we can go through each of the, Six stages first, if you want, Duncan, and then we can take it from there. Yeah, I thought I might just stay on this slight tangent one more sort of time. To me, um, the fun that I have now wasn't on the menu for 20-year-old Duncan. So um, I used to think that 36-year-olds were boring, but what they were is not having what I called 20-year-old Duncan fun, which is basically probably drinking more alcohol than is wise and staying out later than makes sense and running around, you know, and whereas now I'm like, nothing good happens after midnight. Like, you want to be in bed. Um, and, you know, yeah, I'll have a cup of wines like once a week or something. But this, like, talking about a moral development framework as, like, the single reason I want to catch up with James was is, like, the best. Whereas that just wasn't on the menu when I was 20. And so I think James said, you've always got to have toys. I think you've always got to have fun if you want to look at that. But I have like what I would consider to be a far more diverse ability to have fun today than when I was 20. I had one way of having fun when I was 20. And now, seriously, an image in a, in a you know text message is like, oh my God, I can't wait till we talk about this. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely something that, like, so breaking, like looking at how we enjoy ourselves or how we make the most of our time. For me, this is, just about discovery and discovering different ways of thinking I find it incredibly fascinating. Mm. And so when someone put in the thinking for me, <laughs> I could just come along and then just enjoy it. Like, um, you know, it's, it's like another mental model. 
And yes. what this does is help me understand part of the world that I would not have ever considered before. Definitely. I think so. It's a, it's a toy for your mind. The toys before used to be like a new bike or a new Nintendo game or a chocolate. But I, now I give toys to my mind. Uh, so as we're sort of going up Maslow's hierarchy of needs as humanity, you, you know, if you've got no food, life's pretty bad. You've got no shelter, life's pretty bad. If you're worried about getting killed, life's pretty bad. But slowly we're getting better at all those things. And so now the things that we spend most of our time with are conceptual. They're not physical per se. Um, so I spend most of my time trying to think about improving education. And ultimately, I think the goal of education is improving humans. It's the point of education so they can continue education. It's not like, I don't know, so they can perform necessarily a, a specific physical task. Mm. And so this means that the toys or tools that we need today for the higher parts of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are mental models, if you want to call that. They're not physical things. So most, you know, physical and repetitive jobs are getting replaced by the machines. And it used to be that you needed to have like whatever, a tractor's better than, you know, doing farming with your hands or, you know, uh, you know, whatever, a plane is better for making wood things as a carpenter than, than, you know, just your hands. But this is the equivalent. And so this is toys for the conceptual world. Mm, mm, exactly. So shall we dig into it and start pulling this thing apart? I think we should just do a sort of, top you want to explain the six levels quickly because it, yeah. it with the sort of abstractly they don't make sense to me and then we'll try to give you some examples and then maybe they'll make sense <laughs> yeah so so what so the way he explains it um i think that helps the most is ideally you move through these stages through your life so yep. stage one is when you're first born to when you're a few years old and in theory you would move through each of the stages as you develop physically and physiologically um sorry psychologically so stage one is basically the way in which you you reason, um, you know, your moral set of values is based pretty much on punishment and obedience, right? So it's like, I will, you know, something is okay if I don't get caught or conversely, you know, if I do this, I will be punished. Therefore, it is bad. And so you can, you can kind of think of, um, you know, if you've ever been in the presence of a very young toddler, anything that they kind of like, they have no compass, zero. <laughs> and so if they're about to, you know, pour some water onto the couch, they'll look at mummy and daddy first and they'll look for those very, um, you know, stern set of eyes like, don't you dare. And they're like, okay, this is not right to do. Uh, so stage two, um, instrumental relativist. So this is basically like, if it feels good, then do it. Self-interest, uh, they call this. Yeah, very, very self-interested. I love this. So you meant to go through your life and learn this? Stage one, a bit interested. Stage two, instrumental relevist. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't even know what those words mean today. I'm 36 years old. No well, idea. Uh, yeah, well, so I'm, st I'm still at stage one, clearly. <laughs> so let's go with self-interest driven, right? So Self-interest orientation. What's what feels, it for me? What feels or good for me? will I get paid me? for this? Yeah. Yep. All right. And so, so now stage three is more socially driven. All right, so I want to be considered or seen as good by my peers or by my wider um, community. So they say this is interpersonal accord, so social norms. Oh, God, I can say instrumental relativist, but you can say like interpersonal no, but accord. In, or conformity. <laughs> I think so, so this is like, first one is like, of, can I avoid punishment? That's level one. Level two, what's in it for me? Like, you're going gonna to pay me or whatever. Level three, social norms. You need to sort of fit in, right? Mm. Level four, 
law and order. It's not just fitting in because sometimes the tribe, you know, with your, your the friends at school are going to go and all, I don't know, smoke weed or something. And, you don't, you know, you might want to fit in to so you do it or something. But, you know, you decide, no, I'm not going to because I, I've got a sort of social norms here. Then stage five is social contract, um, which is more that it's the, the right thing to do for society. There's, and if you break the contract, it's not good. And then stage six is universal ethics, which is not just your society, but humanity as at whole. Yeah. All right. Well, we just blitzed through the last three stages, but I think we've done good enough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think Kohlberg basically says that um, you, you, you progress through these through your life um, and that apparently some people get to stage six, which is universal ethics, which is kind of like a Kantian um, way of saying, well, if I was to be in their shoes and I thought that the ultimate principle would be something, I know it's getting a little deep. Um, so there was some work saying, and there are tests actually to see where you fall on this. And I was just doing one before James and I started talking. Um, and it, you might say that I'm a self-interested level two human, or, <laughs> or it might say that I'm a level five social contract oriented or level six, but well, it might say that you still believe very much in, uh, crime and punishment and that you should yeah. only do things if you don't get punished. So, um, effectively, he thinks that you progress through these and, and he sort of thinks that society is progressing through these and that if you're in the sort of hunter-gatherer tribal stage, that might be much more sort of level three social norms or level two social interest, you know, self-interest. But that if we're talking about, say, universal ethical principles, this is not what's right for your country. It's what's right for the globe. So, an example of that might be climate change. Yeah, you're going to take a hit and you're going to take on more of the, the, if you're, say, a developed country, the burden to stop climate and you'll allow, say, developing countries to emit more carbon because this is the way to lift the amount of poverty. And so that that's the sort of right trade um, for the overall outcome of humanity. Um, and you'll see certain politicians that don't think that's the right way, as an mm. example. Mm. Exactly. So I think like... There's two ways you can approach this, right? Like, so you can go through each of the stages and think about examples of each to try and understand how these are applied in the real world. Or we can try and think of a, or of a uh, circumstance or a situation and think, how would that look if we went through each of the six stages? Mm. Now, would you have a preference for which one you'd want to do? Well, I thought we'd start with friends, and I thought we'd use James and my friendship as an example. And to see, you know, where this is developed. And maybe James and I can see whether we think we've gotten to stage six friendship, whether we're not. And I suppose what I would probably say is that maybe at my best, I could maybe sometimes be stage five, stage six, but also at my worst, I'm, I'm like a stage one, stage two human, I'm sure. So hopefully the average is improving. Um, <laughs> James and I went to the same school, primary school, and we were driving home from a concert at school. And our mothers noticed that we drove to almost exactly the same place. And they were like, oh, isn't that convenient? If our, we're in the same year level, if our sons are friends, then we don't have to go far for them. They can just walk to each other's houses. <laughs> um, and so legitimately, I think we were forced to be friends. Well, not that. They were just decided that it makes sense. We'll call it enlightened despotism. Yeah. And so this was maybe like, like you know, the prison wardens, a.k.a. our parents, um, forced us to, to go to the yard together. Um, and then we, through that, actually fostered a friendship. But... That was the very start of it, which I'd say is level one. We were forced to hang out with each other through proximity. <laughs> what do you think about that? Do you think it's a good version of level one? Well, I think that's a very, that, that's a very generous way of putting forward level one in the, in the sense that um, we were put in a situation outside of our control. 
But I think um, the flip side of that is, you know, if you were to apply your um, stage one lenses, it would basically be that if I don't go over to Duncan's house, then I don't get to, you know, have dinner or <laughs> play on my computer game or something like that. So there yeah. was a direct um, consequence to not acquiescing to um, something that I've been told to do. So I feel like, okay, I have to be friends with this person yeah. because if I don't, I will suffer for it. Well, I think it was like, mum asked me to. So I don't know if you if were young or something. Mum says you have to go and have, you know, hang out with this person. That happened to me, you know, certain times. Um, and I'm sure at other side as well, they were like, you have to go and hang out with Duncan. I'm like, oh, sweet, I get a new friend. And they're like, I'm only here because mum forced me to do this. Um, and, and then level two is self-interest. What's in it for me? Mm. And I think... That might be, well, I'm, I don't want to be bored. I don't want to be lonely, you mm. know? Um, and so you're like going to mean I'm not bored or lonely, you know, as opposed to I like you or something. <laughs> it's like, you know, what's in it for me? How would you describe level two, James? Well, like, so I, I think I have a, 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 an interesting perspective because I've just seen my two girls grow up into the ripe old age of five and two. And I see what one looks like. You basically take your two-year-old toddler to a playground and you help them figure out how to interact with other human beings because it's a very, very delicate dance. Like two-year-olds do not have the social construct um, that is required to be able to play for a long period of time. Stage two, however, is very, very um, pertinent when you've got someone, you know, between the ages of three and five trying to make friends because what, um, like what, my, what my daughter did was she tried to make the other one just do what she wanted. <laughs> so you can very quickly see some kids lose interest very quickly um, and you couldn't figure out why. And I'm like, well, they're interested in having fun too. And so if all you're doing is just what you want to do, then they won't have fun. So they, um, at this level of reasoning, are thinking, well, this isn't fun for me, therefore I don't want to do it. Mm. I think that's a good way to sort of see what level three is, which is you want to be seen as a good friend or it's kind of social norms. And so it's not just, well, I want to do what I want to do. Like, let's just say that James wants to play Lego and Duncan wants to play Nintendo. But then you might be like, okay, well, I'll play Lego with James so that then he'll play Nintendo with me. Mm. And so there's this kind of, not just what's in it for me, you know, sort of thing, but it's like, okay, mutual, you know, a good friend does what the other friend wants to do, but then the other friend who's a good friend also does what this friend wants to do. Well, I'll say that reasoning was level two. Like, I'll play oh, okay. Nintendo just so that I can get what I want, right? So that's level two reasoning. It would be more like, I will play Nintendo with Duncan because I want to be seen as a good friend. That's it. Like, I just want Duncan's approval to say, ah. to, to, to say like, oh, you are a good friend because you play Nintendo with me. And even though if I don't really want to... I just yeah. want to be seen as someone who's a good friend. Oh, I like that. So you'd be playing Nintendo because you like to, or you do what the other friend wants because then they think you're a good friend and that mm. makes you you enjoy it. Mm, so exactly. your, your enjoyment comes not necessarily from doing what you want to do, but from the other person enjoying spending time with you. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think maybe we got to that. I can't remember when we were five, hanging out, what exactly we were doing. Do you have any, do you, I mean, I sort of, you know, I remember sort of very brief images, but I'm sure they're all made up. Cool. Then the next one is like authority and social norm maintaining order. So saving a human's life is more important than, um, than protecting property. 
How would you articulate this? What's your thought of this? Okay, so when we're applying this to this to this um, example of friendships, after you've known someone for a good amount of time, um, let's say a year, whether it's implicit or whether you have actually consciously created it, you and your, that friend will have a set of norms that no one else has. Right? You've got this very unique dynamic that you two know how to interact with each other in a very particular way. And I would say like that's part of what friendship is, right? You two no longer are just the two individuals who are interested in each other. You've now created a relationship. And I think that relationship is based on a whole bunch of unspoken norms that you both um, invested, if that makes sense. Hmm. And so what happens here is if someone breaks the norm, so for instance, I don't know, you hang out each weekend, right? And like whatever on Saturday, and then the other friend decides that they're not going to hang out anymore. That doesn't mean one, that doesn't mean so one person's like I don't, so I don't want to not be friends, but one the other person takes it as well. You don't want to be friends anymore because mm. you've broken the norm. Do you reckon mm. that's a good articulation, James? Well, yeah. So it's like we've been friends for an entire year and we never spent time with anyone else, and then suddenly you just went and started hanging out with no one else, with someone else. Um, you know, suddenly I would feel like that was a breach of our trust, or at least you know of our the breaking of the norm. Not, breaking, yeah. yeah, breaking the norm. Like, um, you know, put a different way, is you could have a, an interaction with someone that you've never met before that could be considered highly contentious or highly um, offensive. Like, you know, would you walk up to someone in the street and just say, hey, poo face? Hmm. Would you? So, no. Well, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you could have a friendship where it's based on the um, understand understood convention that every time you greet this person you just call them poo face and that's already <laughs> well understood that that's how we engage with each other so well, that's a good sorry yeah sorry go on yeah james and i have sort of like what you know gentle jeering or friendly insults um so literally about hey poo face or something and i'll try and think up some sort of new you know inane insult most of the time that I speak to James. Does a horrendous uh, job of doing it, by the way. Yeah, but it's not... In, it's, it's kind of like just a bit of fun. It's like a little game. Like, what what silly thing can I say? Um, but if I said that to somebody else, they'd be like, what the fuck? I mean, I'm not allowed to use that word. What the F? You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, level five can mean... I, I, this is what I've sort of written here. Um, you know, James and I live in different cities. James is married with children. I'm not, you know, single without children. Um, and... So to me, this is, I suppose, you know, different types of ways of doing things. And so before you might have been friends, you were kind of because you all played, you know, football together or something, right? Or because you, you went out to whatever, you know, a pub together or something. And this is sort of different in that you're not necessarily friends because of commonality, if that makes sense, or social norms or other things. You're, you're friends that are by choice, but through allowing differences between each other. So mm -hmm. starting off from being like forced to hang out because otherwise no one would be annoyed with me to, well, I'm only going to hang out with you and do what I want to, well, I'll, I'll do what James wants by choice because it means that he thinks I'm a good friend to, we've built our own sort of social norms, which is level four. And if we don't hang out anymore, it doesn't necessarily make sense, you know, all good, you know, uh, you know, poo face thing to, okay, we can maintain friendships that are sort of different. They're, they're nothing to do with circumstance or wanting approval per se. They're kind of not removing downside, they're adding upside, but through um, sort of pluralism, 
I don't know if that's the world's worst description. What have you got, James? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so what I think we can do is we go back to stage four, just like, um, so let's just articulate. When you talk about a set of norms that have been um, prescribed, right? So remember, stage four is law and order. So when you adhere to something at the law and order um, level, there's, that implies that there's a bunch of stuff that's written down and you abide by them. So for the example that we used just now, like, you know, you and I would hang out every single Saturday, like no one else would be involved, blah, blah, blah. And that would be um, our prescribed notion of friendship. If you went outside of that and started hanging out with someone else, I'd be like, you've just broken the law. Like, that's not okay. Mm. Now, if we go to stage five, you're not thinking about the written words being the be all and end all. You're now thinking about, well, what's actually the most important thing here is not the rules of our friendship, it is our friendship. And so if Duncan wants to go hang out with this other person, but that means that he's a happier person and that he can come back and enjoy spending time with me, then I can mm. understand that. So, yes. it's, so it's no longer me saying like, no, Duncan, we've had these, we've got these things written down here. You don't go outside of that. It's now, well, what, what's, why are these things written down? It's, they're written down because that's a interpretation of a uh, sustainable friendship. So instead of just thinking about what's written down, and in this case, what's written down is basically how our friendship has played itself out up until this point. It's now just thinking about, well, what's best for the friendship? Well, what's best for the friendship is Duncan might need to go out and start a business in Melbourne while James might need to go off to Sydney to you know follow his career and start a family. Well, that's definitely outside of the original norms, but if we understand it, that's what's best for them, we can still maintain our friendship in spite of that. I really like that. Um, so to me, effectively, if you don't necessarily allow this, if you want to call it like greater good optimization for each side, and one person's sticking rigidly to a past previous norms, mm. then the other, it might be splitsville. You're not friends at all, if that yeah. makes sense. Because... But I, you know, we've made conscious effort to try to continue to maintain our friendship, and one of the things is doing a podcast. Um, and this has meant that I, th you know, I hope we do this podcast forever. And there are many reasons to do this, but one of the main ones was to keep investing in our friendship. And so, yeah, I mean, if I don't know, it was the same as whatever mid twenties. I think James spends the majority of his weekends hanging with his family, and. You know, I was wanting to hang out with James in the, in, you know, on the weekends as mid twenties, and if that wasn't the case, maybe we wouldn't be friends. But we've sort of adapted around and found, well, no, I do want to continue this friendship, and one of the ways is through through a higher level. Mm. Yeah, so it's about pulling yourself back from looking at, well, what are the rules, and thinking, well, why are there rules? Like, what were the rules serving? Like, how did this actually? Um, you know, why did we decide to write these up to apply them to our friendship in the first place? And it was basically because we didn't have the mental capacity or the, the, the tools available for us to say, well, actually, they're just a, um, you know, there's this North Star, which is a good friendship. And if we can just figure out how to move around that and adapt to it, then we don't need to have a written set of rules. We can just move where, um, you know, we need to be. I think, so this is partially by articulation of, of level six. It's like there's not a, a mutually agreed set of friendship rules. There's actually a natural set of friendship laws. Like, what's the point 
of you know trying to have human interactions and how can we try to sort of see what the boundary conditions are and so to me not catching up means not going to be friends probably but you know we don't always need to catch up only talking on a podcast and so some of the times it's just you know we'll have a vox a voice chat sort of thing and it's a totally different vibe so one thing is that you need to have different modes i have like serious mode silly mode sorrow mode as an example um and not just one mode and so i think our friendship has multiple modes mm. but it, it's funny that like seeing us in person happens very rarely because we get physically in different cities it just it's difficult um but i'd say that there's almost like three modes one of which is podcast mode um, another one's just like hey mate i need to have a chat you know it's kind of like counselor mode if you want to call that another one is just silly mode where we're kind of hurling insults at each other in a, in a gentle way talking smack about random things you know poking out laughing sort of stuff on voxer voice chats and so yeah what would you how would you describe level six versus level five yeah so this is it's, it's really difficult in any setting let alone in um, the example that you've given which is friendship yeah. Yeah. um so like if i think of level five it's think i think of it in terms of like so what are our values as friends individual and then i think of level six as well what would those values look like if they applied to everyone? Mm. Um, and so, like, for me, the, the key word there is values. If you go back to things like level one, two, and three, these are more operational, um, you know, or transactional elements, and you can be very specific in terms of, like, if you do this, you'll be punished. Or, you know, if I don't do that, I'll feel bad. Or if I do this, then everyone will think I'm a nice person. When we get to stage six, it's about, well, instead of like thinking in terms of actual tangible rules or written, um, you know, actions, it's like, well, what are the underlying principles or values that we think could apply to all friendships? Now, that doesn't mean that these would make all friendships last forever because it might in entail that some, you know, don't go, you know, for very long at all but at least that's the same value so one example could be like you know we just want what's best for each other if everybody applied um, that kind of thinking um, that could have a sustainable I think I don't know model for friendship no matter who you are or who you're friends with if that makes sense so I, I like that just want what's best for each other but is, is that not level three they want to be seen as a good friend well, okay, so this is where I think can get interesting, and that is um, what uh, what's the context behind it, all right? So the context behind wanting what's best for each other at a level three stage is your motivation. You're level three, James. Sorry. <laughs> it's quiet, two face. <laughs> so, Go. as like, if I want what's best for you, but I'm operating at a level three stage then I only want what's best for you because then that will make me think, look good. Yeah, okay. And that will make me feel accepted. But yeah. if I go past day three, I don't, I no longer care about how I am perceived in my community or how I am perceived by my friend. I'm you now how you perceive yourself, not perceived by others. Mm. And so if you are wanting what's right for the friendship, you're happy to do that. Even if it means lowering for you mm. because it's the right thing for the overall greater good. But the other thing is that when you get to stage six, like I could be, you know, in a friendship that ostracizes me from the rest of my community. But we have this understanding that, well, 
we're friends and what we want is what's best for each other. And if everybody else thought that way, then they could have good long lasting friendships as well. And the final thing I'll say is that if I want what's best for you at level three, um, but then that end that, that that ends up in um, you know you doing something that other people in the community don't agree with, then I have a conflict because I still want to be seen as a nice person, but I don't want to be seen as someone supporting you doing something that everyone else disapproves of. But if I'm at level six, and if I want what's best for you, I will hold on to that value in, just in spite of anyone else's um, conflicting uh, uh, considerations to it. Hmm. So I think this is sort of interesting. like James and I, you know, I think very early our, our mothers forced us to spend time with each other and then it was convenient. And then there were things that I wanted to do, which I wanted to, you know, buddy with, like, I don't know, going to the pub or something. Um, but now, like, it, it's sort of, I think, I'm not saying that there aren't times when I'll call up James because I'm like, I need to chat, dude, or whatever. Um, but most of it is nothing to do with circumstantial, nothing to do with kind of just I'm bored, you know, or, or sort of wanting to just go to the pub. It's about sort of adding upside, like talking about things like Kohlberg's development theory. Um, <laughs> and so from my perspective, like, it's, it's weird. Like it is for personal growth for me. It's for personal growth for James. It's, it's this interesting activity. Um, and I think that I believe, you know, we're both interested in reading and learning and finding new toys for our minds, for example, or mental models. Um, and that perhaps, or this is like, you know, it's, it is in perhaps, you know, not necessarily everyone I know is interested in this. And so therefore, when you're catching up with some people, you can't have conversations like this. Like you have to go to the kind of fun activities that were available as a 20 year old. But now James and I have different activities to do, which are fun. Mm. Um, this is like the equivalent of playing Nintendo, except better. You know, <laughs> like we, 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 we used to like, I don't know, 10 years ago, play Mario Kart versus each other, you know, through the internet. There's no way I would want to play Mario Kart versus James than do this. It's like 10 hundred times better. Yeah, because so, you keep losing. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? Like, so is, this, is there a level beyond level six is where I was trying to get to? And what does it look like? Oh, okay. Haven't thought of that. So, what I so um, so Kohlberg bunches these together into three different kind of like um, segments, and he calls them pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional. So, what you're asking, Duncan, is there a post post-conventional here? Um, Post-modern conventional. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I haven't really thought of that because once you get to That's universal, more mind. No, you're just applying other people's ideas. You're not even trying to get beyond it. Oh, here we go. Let's see what go. you. Right. Let, what what yeah. did what do you got for us then? What's your what's your level seven? Well, I think part of it is helping others get up these levels. And so, to me, this sort of talking about going up the stages. But I do think a big one is kind of what James is doing. You know, with his daughters as an example, but it's pretty easy to help someone go from level one to level two. That's not mm. some sort of well-developed thing. You're, you're doing some pretty basic stuff there, James. But maybe the point here is, is that if James and I were effectively helping create a community, and perhaps that's part of what the podcast is, but also at work, um, you know, we have a book club, and I think we're going to have Kohlberg's uh, in the developmental theory as part of this, and then we're going to discuss it. And then I think slowly over time, I think I've got like a cursory, you know, in, you know, introductory understanding of this at the current time. But I hope to discuss this and it to become part of the lexicon of the people that I work, you know, with and interact with outside of work. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds definitely like a, you know, level six 
you know, universal ethics way of considering this? What would be the social contract level five orientation? <laughs> but like, we literally talk about like, I don't know, Keegan's um, moral uh, developmental levels and like, you know, self-transforming, socialized mind, etc. Mm. Um, and so I think perhaps a level beyond this, because like level six is kind of the ultimate level in that it's the level where you are self-upgrading. It's the level where you're looking at universal ethics and you're, you know, you're beyond kind of an individual. You've transcended some sort of, you know, biology that we're in uh, and we are kind of thinking about humanity as a collective and not all people necessarily think about that trump you know and, and so i think that we could hopefully help others get up there so level seven would be moving others up but maybe okay um well so here's my um critique of that the the the, the whole um the model of Kohlberg's six stages focus like my understanding it focuses on how you apply moral reasoning, not in terms of like, um, you know, if the next day would be what you... Just because you didn't have an idea and now you want to poo-poo my idea. Yeah, yeah, I'm poo-pooing it. I'm poo-pooing it. So like, like, if we look at the definition, like, so moral reasoning has been defined as the process through which individuals try to determine the difference between what's right and wrong, all right, using logic. So now... Kohlberg done a you know a seminal job of breaking that down into six stages, where I can kind of see a potential uh, like seven like so it, so for me stage six when you talk about universal ethical principles sounds a lot like um, a, a deontology to me, right? So deontology is a um, philosophical branch that believes that there are some universal laws that apply no matter what. And I think Immanuel Kant was a, a champion of that. So for me, a stage seven would be somewhere where these universal principles are actually aligned with, when I say the world, I think of um, what I mean is consequentialism. So consequentialism is like, do you do something based on the potential outcome? Like if I kill this person, I can still harvest his organs and save five people. So consequentially, that's a better outcome. But we don't do that. So what I'm what I'm getting at here is, on their own, deontology, there are some flaws. Consequentialism, there seem to be some flaws. If there was a way in which they could both like be in, exist in harmony, I would say that's the day seven. <laughs> All right. Maybe let's go on to the next sort of example, which we had here with friends, and then it was like work colleague. And given that we're taking 34 minutes to do one, and then we were thinking about children and then possibly about uh, how you might build a company slash country, we're not going to get through them all. So we'll do, we'll try and speed it up a little bit. So, so stage one job is, I'll only do this if I get fired. So it's kind of like, you know, I won't, you know, if you don't fire, the only reason I'm doing it is because I will get fired otherwise. Well, this would work or with the work colleague? Like uh, work and work colleague, I would we'll call it, just leave them together at the same time. I'm, I'm only doing this if you promise me an opportunity, like a pay rise and increase. That's level two. Level three, I want to do well so I can get a promotion. Level four, a company's set of norms and principles need to be followed, else we have anarchy. Hmm. So leaders teach a healthy um, respect for authority. Level five, it's fine to push back against managers if it's for the greater good. So level four, it's not fine to push back against managers. So I say, sorry, um, 
Managers teach a healthy respect for authority. Leaders teach a healthy disrespect for authority. So level four is teaching healthy respect for authority. You need to have disrespect in a good way. So you need to make provision for, there's always opposition. If you don't make provision for loyal opposition, you'll get disloyal opposition. Disloyal opposition goes around, connives, and you know, destroys things. So you need to make sure that there is active space for dissent or for different points of view, else you're going to have them, you just won't see them. And then level six, being a good employee looks means looking after the common good, not necessarily the company's strategy and vision. So this means that you're helping to upgrade the vision as an example and change things. Um, so what do you think about that, James? I know I went through them all quickly. I thought, maybe, yeah. yeah, you could pick up my level, have a go. Yeah, okay. So I think... Um... If not necessarily well, work or work. Good job, yeah. good job. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, Bonus nice point to anyone here. who could just <laughs> keep up with all of that. Yeah. Um, so to well, me, anyone I... else did except you. So, you know, just negative points for you. Ah, oh, okay. Well we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send a poll out to everyone afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just call this uh, work culture um, or in terms yeah. of like how, I, like you know, life at work. So number one, I think I agree. Like if I don't do this, I'll get fired. That's punishment. Clear as day. Um, number two, I also agree, like, if you do this, then uh, I'll get a, If I do this, I'll get a promotion. Um, but I see stage three as exactly the same as stage two in your reasoning. I will do this to get a promotion. That's what's in it for me. So what I would reason a stage three in a work environment would be something... I would say, can I, sorry, can I say, quickly jump in there? So I would yeah. say you, it's an immediate return, stage two. So I do this because you give me mm -hmm. a bonus. Whereas stage three is I'm doing this because I believe if I act well, that I will be remunerated for it at some point in the future, but there's not an explicit quid pro quo for it. Yeah, but I still think when you have the, the reasoning that if um, there is something in the future that is in for me, then you're still operating at stage two. If your reasoning well, one's is... One's short-term explicitly done, the other one's a long-term hope. And they could, yeah, but they could still, still, still both fit in stage two. Okay. It's it's not about like um you know is this an immediate return versus a long term return. It's about how you're reasoning your actions. If your reasoning is that yeah. at some point, whether it's tomorrow or in the year's time, you're going to get something in return, then you're at stage two. For me, stage three is how am I going to like how will doing this make me perceived in the organization, right? Like so, if you're okay. and it's got nothing, to, and even though. You could argue that your perception is one of your most valuable things in an organization to getting you promoted. If all you're doing is reason that if I am someone... James is better. You heard me say it. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's the second time that you struggled to go beyond stage two, Duncan. So oh, it tells me that you are stuck very much in stage two. <laughs> <laughs> right. Get on with it. Um, so stage four, I like company set of norms and principles that you basically follow. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of companies have got, you know, culture manifestos or value um, or sets of principles. Um, and it, this idea of teaching a healthy respect for authority, um, I think is in line with, you know, law and order, right? So, you know, this is the way we, we, we do not tolerate discrimination. We do not tolerate, um, you know, inappropriate behavior, blah, 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 blah. Um, stage five, I think, is also a really good reasoning. So this idea that managers teach respect for authority, leaders teach healthy disrespect for authority. Um, like, I don't know if it's worth just like pulling that apart because I kind of get the message, the point you're trying to come across, which is, yes, we want conformity so that we can operate as a, um, you know, as a single unit, but we also want people to challenge that, the norm, so that when we need to 
change and adapt, we can. Um, like I think I can't remember the name of the the book, Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins. Um, but there was a great quote in there, which is um, the managers was basically saying, "We did everything right, and that's what led to our demise." And it was because they kept on doing the same thing over and over again, um, without standing the changing market, the uh, you know rapidly evolving nature of technology, blah blah blah. So they just kept on maintaining their current business model, but that's what led to their demise. What you need is a healthy disrespect for, I would say, the norm, so that people can challenge that, so that they can allow themselves to adapt. And that's kind of like I, similar. I, yep. So the difference between level five and six is that one is pushing well, I'm back. About, okay, I'm talking about four oh. and five. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, so four is like here are the rules and you you do them. Like here's the yeah. system and here's how you work within that system. Five is, all right, we have a system, but we want you to poke holes in it. We want you to see where there's vulnerability. We want you to see where it needs to adapt to the changing world around it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then there's six. So I think six is always the hardest one to kind of like make tangible. So you talked about visionaries creating people who can spawn their own. That's actually a good um, way of putting it. Like, So what you're doing is you're creating the capability for, um, you know, people to do this themselves because that's kind of like a universal principle. It's like if everybody could have within them the ability to create their own norms but then adapt those norms to the changing environment, um, that would look like something, you know, a lot more universal. Mm, so, so the way I put it here, and I'm not, it's not necessarily strictly aligned to Kohlberg's, it's just what are the different levels you can get to? And you know, what are the six things? So I call this taxonomized thinking. And so you need to make levels. And so to me, there are some things that you've done like, I don't know, a hundred times before. Don't reinvent the wheel. If it's working fine, do it. You know, if it's not working fine, fix it. But if you're going into something new that you've not really looked at before, then I often find it very useful to try to break what you're doing into levels. And it expands significantly your ability to understand the problem space. And so this is just taxonomized thinking. It's like, okay, what are the different levels you can have for a you know, company, as an example, or a friendship? And then you find ways to level up. So the funny thing is, and I will get around to writing a blog on this one day, taxonomized thinking, which is m- making thinking in levels, is actually the way to level up. So trying to write out levels is a core way to leveling up, if I, I've found. <laughs> um, and this is just this sort of weird thing. It's like, What? Um, so to me, the major difference between level five and level six, well, so level four, there's a set of norms that are defined by management and norms and principles, and they need to be followed else you have anarchy, e.g. 10 defined cultural values, and you can't change them. Level five is that you can push back on cultural values. So you might say, I don't think this makes sense or whatever else it is, you know, we should do what's the greatest good for a number of people. So it's changing cultural values. And then level six is vision. And this is cultural values kind of sit inside of the vision or mission. So it's changing the, the mission or vision. So it's a kind of zoomed out layer again. Mm. Um, and to me, I just wanted to get onto James, like, you know, uh, what, do you, can you see different ones working in different places? Like, is, there, is, is it always optimal to get to level six? Or is no, different companies or different types of organizations, level one, level two, level three, et cetera. And it's sort of interesting. Like, you can look at, for instance, like a basketball team. I've been watching, you know, Michael Jordan's, or not Michael, you know, The Last Dance. And I think... There is very clear hierarchies in in like you know the basketball team with Jordan you know being you know basically the most important part, 
and he's setting the norms and cultures. And I think others are pushing back and then they're part of it. But it's not per se optimizing for pluralism. It's optimizing for, you know, basically making Michael shine or something, mm. if you ask me. <laughs> and so it, it might be more like a level four. There's a set of norms and principles. You've got to stand up. You've got to be strong, etc. cetera. Mm. As opposed to, I think, you know, as an example, countries that are kind of, I don't know, at the most developed in terms of, I don't know, opportunity per person, etc. You can't necessarily direct where to go. So to me, as you get further up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's a, it's a triangle, right? Uh, sorry, or a pyramid, whatever you want to call it. I think it's actually the opposite in terms of plurality. So at the bottom, you, you don't want any kind of difference. No killing other people. That's not up, up for debate, right? And then it's like, you need to be good. Like if we cooperate together, then you can make some potatoes and I can make some carrots and then we can have more potatoes and carrots than if we just had tried to make them all together. Whereas the top is the opposite. You want plurality. You mm. want mm. huge amounts of people able to do whatever it is they can do. You can go and be a yoga instructor. You can go and be, uh, you know, make fancy coffees. You, you can do all these different things. And so to me, I believe certain organizations like a basketball team don't necessarily need that level of every person discovering themselves that's not optimal for them functioning as a unit there's like one freak show named jordan and he's the best possible basketball player of all time we need to figure out how to give him leverage as opposed to help everyone become a unique snowflake (laughs) (laughs) well i think labeling jordan as a freak show is uh is fairly generous considering he has someone called dennis rodman on his team but we won't get into that um i think pippen too I think well, no, but in terms of freak shows, like Dan uh, Robin was okay, definitely a yeah, colourful character. One, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, he was. Yes. Clap, clap. Well done, James. I, I finally got. I finally got your joke. Like after you explained it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's another way of thinking it. I think you touched on it, um, but then you quickly moved on to this plurality kind of um, nonsense. At the very Whatever. bottom is okay. So you're at the very individualistic level, and you need to get the details right. Because that's how that's how you can that's how you can understand the world, right? If you give me something very clear and concrete to work with, then I can work within that, right? Don't do that, otherwise you'll get in trouble. All right, makes sense. Do this, and then I'll be your friend. Okay, I make sense. Do this, and you'll be seen as a good person. Makes sense. These are all different levels of details. What I think is when you get to the level five and the level six, more specifically, is that you're no longer thought, thinking about details. You're thinking about purpose. So. Uh, um, to phrase this from a business standpoint, you think of like Jeff Bezos, strong on the vision, loose on the details. So at stage six, there is a universal vision driving the organization forward. Whatever the details need to be at whatever point in time to suit that vision is what makes sense. But if it doesn't make sense tomorrow, you change the details, but you stay firm on the vision. So the vision for the organization is always what's fixed, but how we get there, we can change from day to day. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think it's nice. And so to me, um, I don't know if, you know, when I think about Ed Rollo, we're trying, or at least I believe, to have as many people as possible helping figure out what the vision is. And we're trying to be able to do more things. Um, the difference is that if you give, you know, some people too much rope, then instead of building something beautiful, they go and hang themselves. Uh, and so... <laughs> It's kind of like you can't jump someone from level two. And I think a lot of the existing education system is, isn't is this. It's like, you know, in secondary, you don't choose to go to school. You know, in most countries, it's compulsory. You don't choose the subjects. 
you know, so you literally have zero autonomy. It's kind of like stage one. If you don't do it, you get punished for not going to school. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and then slowly you might get to university or undergraduate. You might pick one from the menu. I want to be the engineering programming done to me. I want the whatever arts programming or I want to, you know, be a nurse or something. Um, and so you're not necessarily really creating your own degree. You're not creating your own curriculum. And so to me, um, that that's a, um, something which I, I believe people can do. But I, I think kind of like Kohlberg saying, you develop. I don't think you're born able to walk or talk, let alone do that. Mm. All right, we're going to run out of time. So let's crank through one more real quick. And then we can, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, maybe do a summary because we're going to run out of an hour. So I just thought this is just an analogy that I kind of like. So stage one, there is primary school yard it's like lord of the flies kids are cruel <laughs> um and it's funny because they're so innocent and nice but you know they go around being mean and rude to each other um stage two is an autocracy um like china uh you know russia venezuela um you're only um what's what's in it for me the job you know what, what can you do for me stage three is a company with set values e.g they say do you have strong values can you name them and then there are 10 and to me this sounds a lot like the 10 commandments or effectively a religion um and it's rigid it doesn't shift and we're still living with the dogma of religions and i think mm. that this was better than for instance a hunter gatherer nothing society be good to thy neighbor and enabled us to co you know collaborate on a greater scale than 150 but it wasn't necessarily great uh you know we can allow more plurality the next one is a company with soft values um, or a tribe. So the core values are the same, but secondary values can be different. So that might mean that, for instance, uh, you know, same-sex marriage, that, that's really important. You have to do that. But I don't mind if you vote Republican or Democrat. But same-sex marriage is pretty important, you know, or, or maybe that's actually, you know, <laughs> so that could be, you know, one with that. And then there's a modern liberal democracy. So there's the core parts, which is like the very bottom, uh, you know, which is like, you know, if, if we're all dead, we can't really allow much plurality, you know, and if we don't have food, well, we can't allow much plurality. So there are certain areas where we need to have commonality, no killing each other, you know, we have to respect property rights. You can't just wander around and take whatever the hell you want, you know, but then you can have areas of mass plurality, same-sex marriage, interracial marriage, no marriage, you know, polygamy, monogamy, you know, etc. Like, it doesn't matter, whereas it used to just be, nah, same-sex, oh, sorry, 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 same race, you know, heterosexual marriages, that's it, you know, <laughs> nothing else allowed. And now, you know, plurality, but you no know, killing everyone, that's not allowed, you know, and then that's level five, then level six is a democracy acting in the best interest of the globe, not just itself. So it's not like what's best for the US, America first, America first, Um, you know, it's what's best for the world, e.g., okay, well, with climate change, we all live in the same climate, globe, we can't avoid this, we need to work together. Some of us can afford to do this a bit better than others. And so we should be effectively, you know, it's not about equality, it's about fairness. And so that would be the six stages there. Mm -hmm. And I think that from a company's perspective, there are certain times when, you know, 10 commandments or 10 written down cultural values make sense, but that you're probably going to get beyond that and that you need to have some things which you must happen, but you actually want other areas where you're allowing as much diversity or plurality as possible. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So you went very quickly from, you know, childhood playground to how did the functioning society operate at the six stage. <laughs> so what I think um, is interesting there is looking at how society evolves through the six stages, right? Because if you think about stage one, there are two ways you can look at this. Like obedience and punishment is one way you look at that is through um, some point of authority like a parental figure 
or um, uh, police figure. But like, there's also nature, right? I will, you know, not eat this seed because it will kill me. It's similar to the semblance here. So I see stage one is kind of like the survival games or hunger games kind of thing. You know, if I do, if I do this, then um, I will live. If I don't do this, they'll make me sick or make me die. There's also the authority figure, which I believe a lot of religion is still stuck in, which is you adhere to these norms and the dogma, dogmatic uh, rules. Otherwise, you will burn in eternal hellfire. Right? There are, some, there are a lot of people out there who still, you know, vehemently believe that if they don't... You know what? Vehemently. Mm -hmm. Not vehemently. 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 Yeah, look, I'm not going to be the one... <laughs> Who stage one, stage one, stage one. I'm not going to be the one who spouts the Kantian ethics here. <laughs> All right, go with it. Um, okay, so I think there's this, you know, this, this, this play on, on whether it's really just survival mentality or, um, you know, religion at its worst. Stage two, what's in it for me? Um, this to me is the power game, which is what we talked in, um, you know, yeah, the yeah. last uh, series. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's this idea that, um, you know, I, might is right. Like I can do whatever I want as long as I have the power to do it. And so I'm very much driven by my own self-interest. Stage three, I believe, is where one good example is looking at why the, the Homo sapien became the most dominant species because of cooperation, right? We figured out that cooperation is the best way to survive. And so at this level, I'm thinking entirely in this manner of um, if I do something, it will either endear me or ostracize me from the community. And so, um, like, God, Tim Urban had a really, really great write-up called The Woolly Mammoth. And so his, his rationale is back in the times where there were woolly mammoths still roaming the earth, people were still thinking in this way because they had to be part of the tribe in order to survive. But we still, to this day, have the woolly mammoth in our head. And so... Yeah. Thinking about, like, how do I look? Will my friends like me? Um, do I look silly? All of these kind of stuff. So it doesn't serve us anymore. Anyway, mm. um, stage four, authority, social law and order. So to me, this is the Chinese Communist Party, right? Because what they're saying is we must do everything for the good of the party, which is for the good of the country, right? So it's better to have a population that's obedient or subservient because then we will collectively rise as a nation rather than give people their freedom to hold their own beliefs um, which can create instability, eventually causing it to collapse. I would say that was the case before Xi Jinping. Now it's all about his power, not the Communist Party power. He, he dresses it up as the Communist Party, but it's truly a him. He's mm. a proper autocrat. So yeah. China today is not what China was 10 years ago. Yeah. And so stage five, I think this is um, the US Constitution, right? A set of governing principles and laws, but they also have embedded in it the ability to make amendments. Right. So this is where we basically... Uh, saw from the founding father age, um, you know, laws that they see is what, in their interpretation, is the best way to govern a nation. But they also understood that over time, the level of thinking and, um, you know, what seems right today won't be tomorrow, like wokeness, if you will, <laughs> will evolve. So that's kind of like this idea that like we have a set of principles and laws that we must abide by, but we can also collectively as a nation change those rules if we believe that is the right thing to do.
Hmm. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, stage six is like again a really hard one. Like I, I kind of like your idea of this, you know, <laughs> utopian um, democratic liberal society, whatever you want to call it. Um, for me, it's just this idea where you are in complete harmony with a set of principles and how they um, act as a consequence. So, like the best consequ- consequential outcome is aligned with the set of rules, governing rules or principles that you espouse as a community or a nation, blah, blah, blah. Cool. All right. Um, it's, it's summary time. So the main point is James level one, stage one, Duncan stage six. Right, Duncan stage go. two. Duncan is very much <laughs> stage two. No, no, no. <laughs> um, look, for me, um, talking about this helps you level up. Mm. Um, so this is a tool. So um, it's just like talking about, uh, you know, whatever, thinking like a scientist versus thinking like a zealot or idea labs versus echo chambers from the way, but why story of us, it gives you context or a mental model or a toy for your mind to be able to start to, you know, um, uh, understand the world or understand concepts better. And then you see, God damn it. I'm thinking like a bloody zealot, aren't I? And I think that I have some areas where I feel like a zealot and somewhere I think like a scientist and I hope that all else equal, I'm thinking like a scientist at a higher percentage. And I think now I can see like, oh my God, am I just doing this because it's what's in it for me? Or am I doing this because this is something I think the world needs? Or is this, you know, whatever else it is? And so to me, I think you can sort of see like perhaps different people's and maybe this is where, you know, stages of at a company, the, the people that have got a strong connection to say stage six, this is what the world needs to have to make it better and that they can tangibly see themselves helping there are much more likely to stick around. It might be the same company than someone that's only like, yeah, I'm getting paid lots, you know, <laughs> or something. Um, and so to me, the, the sort of high level point is the more we have of these things, the better. And the way that you can layer them together, the better. And then you can kind of understand sometimes when you are thinking at different levels or stages. Um, and before I didn't have the language or understanding or even necessarily think to think in stages. And so slowly by finding out about more of these things, I become aware of them. And slowly by talking about them with people like James and other people that I spend my life, you know, all time around, I, it, it changes. Like the, the, our world warps. Like we look the same, you know. We, you know, we're same clothes and eat the same food and, you know, whatever. Work in the same building. But we're not the same. And it used to be that, you know, you, 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 whatever, you have more employees or you, you have, I don't know, fancier car. But to me, those are all lower Maslow's levels. Like, this is true transcendence, true self-actualization levels. And it's sweet as, you know, AF. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, cool. All right. There we go. Done. Beautiful, Duncan. Well said. Um, all right. <laughs> what, 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 what have you got for us? Uh, okay. Uh, so something for me. So, um... So Lawrence Kohlberg put this together in order to help us understand not um, the the different kinds of um, conclusions people can make um, in terms of moral reasoning, but it helps us to understand how they reach those conclusions. Because you could you could um, theoretically have someone reach the same conclusion, but be operating at any of the six stages of the moral reasoning um, ladder. So this is, to me, supremely helpful because it just helps give me another way of understanding how people think, which is something I'm, you know, very, very much interested in. Uh, it's another mental model, like similar to, um, you know, what our favorite Charlie Munger says, like, you know, 
you can see the world through, through mental models to help you understand it better. And so this is just something else that I can help apply to better um, see the situation that I'm in, understand how it could be possibly um, you know, applied by the person in front of me or the way that the organization is operating so that I know how I can um, move through it in a much more, I guess, conscious manner. Um, the last thing I will say on that is, uh, I forgot what I had to say on that. It doesn't matter. This <laughs> <laughs> is nothing. No, no, I had something, but now it's gone. But I'll let it go. It'll come back at a time when it, it's no longer apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, uh, going through each of these stages and recognizing, you know, if I'm thinking at that particular level, sheds light. Ah, I know what the point is. It's like language and learning new words in order for you to be able to have um, the ability to describe something, right? Before you had the word ice in your head, you had no idea how to define something that was frozen water. Eskimos have however many different words for ice because they can see however many different versions of that um, substance and that gives them a much more defined way of understanding um, that particular element. This is another tool for me to understand how people think and that's why I think it's supremely useful to read things like this but also talk about them you know with your very not so bright friends who's stuck in a particular low stage but it's still helpful to see what they think that you can understand what a stage one person thinks like yeah um yeah i think just to i know there's something like words are inheritance from past generations wisdom from the elders you learn a new word learn a new thought learn a new emotion a word you know emotion and then mental models is kind of like words joined together so it's like a higher stage of understanding so the vast majority of things that we talk about now are concepts. They're not something physical. How do I catch the animal? How do I build a house or something? And so you, these are your new tools to which understanding concepts. So the more words you have, the more thoughts you have, the more tools you have. The more models you have, the better you can understand the world, the better you can build things. And so this is wonderful. All right, James, I got to roll. I think you had to roll too. Um, we'll speak to you soon. All right, Dr. Cheers. Speak Bye. to you later.